we do want to just celebrate all that Jesus has done for us this morning. And I'd just like to take an opportunity to remind you of what, the wonder of what Christ has done for us. I was reading this morning in my devotion and um, I read a little quote that said, the fact that Jesus lived and died is just historical, which is true. Even as historians will admit that Jesus was a man who lived in Palestine and he died. And then the, this little quote said, but the fact that he rose again is the gospel. So we, we don't just believe that Jesus lived and died. We believe that Jesus rose again and transformed and changed everything. And that's what we're celebrating this morning. And so I'd like, there's so many things we could have preached on this morning. And I'd just like to try and uh, bring your attention to something that has become foundational in my own life that I've been learning about over the last five years. And it really is encapsulated in this very simple verse here in John chapter 20, verse 19, says this. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood amongst them, and he said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said that, he showed them his hands, and he sighed, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And he said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So you know the Bible is an amazing book. It's got um, 66 books in two parts, the Old Testament, the New Testament. And the New Testament has 27 books. The, the Gospels tell the life of the story of Jesus. And the 21 letters that remain explain the meaning of the life of Jesus to us and try and put it, the life of Jesus into perspective. There's one history book called Acts and there's another book of prophecy called Revelation. That's the Bible. But all of those 27 books present Jesus in a most amazing way. They present Jesus as alive. They present Jesus as risen from the dead. They pre present Jesus as the central and living uh, turning point of history. And that's taken as given. It's taken as, as just the way that God is. It's presented to us as both fully God and fully man. And so what I'd like to do in the next 20 minutes, if I can, is just reflect with you on the first thing that Jesus did and the first things that Jesus said after he appeared to his disciples. And I believe they can help us in terms of our own lives in a very practical way. So that first verse says, on the evening of the first day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood amongst them. So here's the context. There's, there's the very exciting thing that happened as Mary, as Jesus appeared to her at the tomb. And that wonderful quote which says, the man you, you are looking for, he's not here. He's alive. He's, 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 not, he's not dead. He's alive. So Mary's already experienced that in the morning. And this is now the, the evening of that first morning. And the disciples are locked away in a room for fear of the Jews. And Jesus comes and simply is with them. So three things, the doors are locked, they are frightened, and Jesus comes and stands amongst them. 
Those three little things can speak powerfully into our lives. The door was locked. He didn't have to open the door. Jesus didn't have a key. He simply was there amongst them in his glorified, resurrected, perfect body. And he said to them in, verse, uh, in, in, in Luke 24, the, the other uh, narrative of the story, he says, touch me. He makes a point of, of saying to them, you can touch my body and feel that I'm real. I'm not a ghost. I'm not, I have flesh and bones like you do. And so there's something incredible about who Jesus is at this point. And you and I, the promise of the Scripture is one day we too will have glorified bodies that will be physical and real, but they will be different. And we too will be able to appear in places just like that, just like Jesus did. So I don't know whether he went through the walls or what he did, but Jesus was not there, and then suddenly he was there right with them behind the locked doors. He appeared just like that in a glorified body, which means the most beautiful thing for you and for me. It means that Jesus can go in your life when no one else can go. Jesus can go into that part of you that no one else sees. Jesus can go where no doctor can go. Where no counselor can go, Jesus comes right into that space where no one else sees, and he's with you, right there, in the deepest part of you that no one else sees. When you are locked away in depression, when you are locked away in frustration, and you are fearful, Jesus comes, and he is with you, like that. That's his promise. That's what the resurrection means. He can reach into the deepest part of who you are just like that. He understands the complex layers of your life like no one else does. That's the first thing. Jesus can come into the deepest parts of who you are. The second thing we see is that they were afraid. The doors were locked because the disciples were there for fear of the Jews. Well, you can understand something of their fear. Jesus had just been crucified because he was a threat to, to, to Caesar. It's totally understandable why they were fearful. And into that fear, Jesus comes. And I think I wanted to kind of um, just point this out this morning because this is where I feel the most vulnerable in my own life. Fear. I put my little thing, I wrote on my little thing, fear for the future. That's what I put at the foot of the cross this morning because it's a real thing for me. I, I, I suffer from the thing of worry, fear that I might not be prepared to do the, what God's called me to do, fear for the future health of my family, peace in a dangerous world, fear that I won't have faith to die well, fear at the last moment that I'll fail, fear that I might just backslide and become incredibly worldly and useless for the kingdom. I, I have those fears myself. And you know what the beautiful thing is right here? When we are most afraid, Jesus comes to us. He doesn't wait and say, when your faith is strong, I will come and be with you. He doesn't say, when you are perfectly in control of yourself, I will come and deal with your fear. Jesus comes to us when we are most vulnerable, when we are most fearful, and we are at the end of ourselves, and he comes and he is with us in the most perfect way. And so I've been a Christian now 43 years. 
<laughs> 43 years. I gave my life to the Lord when I was 12. Well, I should rather say he revealed himself to me when I was 12. 12 years old. I'm 55. 43 years old. And I have cried out many, many, many times in my life, Jesus, please help me. And every time, he's been faithful. Every time he's come and said, fear not, I'm with you. Don't be dismayed. I'm your God. I'll help you. And every time, he's lifted me up. And he can do that for you this morning, if you receive him as the king and the risen Christ. Do you notice also that it says simply Jesus comes and stands in the middle of their meeting? I love that about Jesus. He didn't, he didn't kind of play games with them. He didn't kind of hide behind the door and say, hey, I'm here. Can you see me? He didn't kind of stand on the outside of their meeting. It says, no, he came and stood right in the middle, right where they were, in the midst of them. See, Jesus doesn't toy with us. He doesn't toy with our faith. He wants us to see and know him for who he is, to believe in him and love him now. And that's what Jesus wants for all of us today. And that's what I pray that you've experienced in this meeting, something of the experience of the living Christ, that you would know him, that every one of us would know him as the highest dream and goal for our lives, that we would draw near to him, that we would respond to him in, as he comes where no one else can go. That you would have him come into your heart this morning and help you with fear in the way that no one else can help you. That you'd have him come close. That you would allow him close. He's not calling to you from a distance. He wants to be right with you in the closest part of you. What's the deal? Jesus says, I come and I knock. Whoever opens the door, I will come in and sup with him. He, he doesn't want to be far off. He wants to be close. You and I, what we have to do, we have to open the door, say, Jesus, I, I want to let you come into this part of me that hurts like crazy and no one else can see. Yes? And then there are three gifts that Jesus gives these disciples. And they are there in what he says. It's the gift of peace, the gift of purpose, and the gift of power. And they are all there in the verses. We're just going to have a look shortly. You know, many, many, many lives in the world are ruined by conflict, weakness, and aimlessness. And Jesus didn't come into the world and rise again from the dead to ruin our lives. He, he came to save us. That's what the scripture says. He came to redeem us and rescue us because we need to be rescued. And so what I hope we'll see this morning is that by him, he himself becoming our peace and our power, and our purpose, that transforms us completely. And so my encouragement to you this morning, wherever you are in your walk with the Lord, is that you would determine to make Jesus your peace. That you would determine in your life to make Jesus your power. That you would make Jesus your purpose. And I just love this. The, 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 uh, this when Jesus comes to us and we are, we are kind of fragile and vulnerable, what does he say? The first words out of his mouth are, peace to you. Isn't that beautiful? That is absolutely extraordinary. That's the first thing that he wants to establish in our lives is peace. 
And before we get to do anything, before we have a purpose for our lives, before we experience the power of the Holy Spirit, the first thing that He wants to reinforce is the basis, the foundation for everything in your life and everything in my life is peace. This morning, I got up to the news that in Sri Lanka, Christians were killed this morning in, in churches in Sri Lanka. Suicide bombers walked in, bombed, bombed a whole lot of churches, and people died. In the midst of all these terrible things that are happening in our world, you and I, we can still know peace. The anxiety doesn't have to be there because Jesus himself comes and stands with us and says, peace be to you. And um, see, Paul, who's the great apostle of the the New Testament, he, he put it this way in Ephesians 2. He said, Jesus himself is our peace who has made us both one, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles, and he's reconciled us to God in one body through the cross, thereby ending or killing hostility between us and with God. So that peace has been bought on the cross. That's what we're celebrating. That's what we're celebrating in the empty tomb, that the peace that we could not have with God our Father has been established and bought for us by Jesus. And that's why in verse 20 that we read this morning, he said, it says, once he'd said peace to you, he showed them his hands and his side. Why did he do that? Because he's saying, I'm the one who died. I'm the one who took your sin upon myself. You abandoned me, but, but I was pierced for your transgressions, and I can offer you peace now because I've bought it with my own blood, and I'm offering it back to you. And this, the, the wrath, the, the hostility that we had between us and God has been taken away and absorbed by what Jesus did, did on the cross. And so as I finish this morning, let me just point you to five ways that you can know peace in your life. And it's an offer to you this morning. It's, an, it's a gift if you'll receive it. First way we can know peace. We know peace between ourselves and Jesus. That's the first and obvious meaning of, of this, this, uh, these verses. Jesus comes and brings peace between us and between him. And he comes as a friend. He comes as a helper. He doesn't come as a judge, does he? He comes into the midst of their fear, the midst of their fragility, their vulnerability. He doesn't judge that. He just simply says, peace be with you. I'm your friend. And he opens his heart to them. Secondly, we have peace between ourselves and God. And that's what these verses establish, that that anger, the, the, the hostility between God and us has been removed because of what Jesus did. And now we know God as Father. And so we can come to Him as a loving Father. There's nothing in the way anymore between us and our Father. Therefore, we sing many times on a Sunday here, He's a good Father. How can we know that He's a good Father? Because Jesus has made the way open and we can love Him as a good Father. Thirdly, He brings between, peace between us and every other person that knows Jesus. I love that. Why do I love that? Because we have perfect peace vertically. We can have perfect peace horizontally. What does that mean? It means that in the kingdom, there's no racism. Hello? Isn't it interesting that since all the stuff's been happening about Brexit, now all of a sudden there's more racism, obvious racism. Have you noticed that? Synagogues are being targeted. Footballers are being abused. 
in an obvious way now, in a racial way. Why? Because it's that rise of nationalism, isn't it? We are all, you know, we don't want anyone who's not English in the UK. It's, it's nationalism. It's racism, basically. In the kingdom, there's no racism. In the kingdom, there's no ethnic divides in the kingdom. We are all one. What does the scripture say in Galatians 3.28? There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There's no male. There's no female. For all of us are one in Christ. And so when I go to Ukraine, I find brothers there. When I go to Brazil, I find brothers there. When I go to South Africa, I find brothers there. When I come to England, I find brothers and sisters there because we are all one in Christ. There's no room for those things in the kingdom. They are anti the gospel. And so we have beautiful peace this way because we have peace this way. Fourthly, we have peace between ourselves and our own soul. Can I put it like that? Hebrews 9.14, the blood of Christ will purify your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Ah, oh, man, that's the beauty of the gospel. You can have a clear conscience. You know how many times I've messed up in my life? You know how many times I've hurt people by what I've said and the things I've done? And I can have a clear conscience. I can have peace with my own soul because of the blood of Christ and what He's done for me. And the same is true for you if you know Jesus this morning. It doesn't mean that our, we start seeing our sin as desirable. It, it doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean that the pain that we've caused cease to, ceases to be painful. It means that it stops paralyzing us. It means we can live with hope. We can live with freedom. We're not paralyzed anymore by those things. We can have peace in our own conscience. You can get out of the bed in the morning with a lightness in your heart, knowing that Jesus has done all that is needed, and you can live free. Come on. That is good news. It doesn't mean the pain goes away immediately, but the penalty is taken away immediately. And because the penalty is taken away immediately, healing becomes possible for you and for me in every area of our lives. This is good news. This is the gospel. And lastly, fifth, we have peace with the world. We have peace with the world. Colossians 1, which we studied, verse 19, said that Jesus did all that needed to be done so that someday in God's time, all evil will be cast into outer darkness and the entire world will be a new creation and will be full of peace and full of righteousness. Amen? And what is the scripture that we always quote at, uh, at Christmas time when we celebrate the birth of Christ? Isaiah 9-7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end with righteousness from this time forward, from now and forever. We have peace with Jesus. We have peace with God, the Father. We have peace with each other and Christ. And we have peace with ourselves. And we have peace with the world. When you know Christ, you have peace in all those areas of your life. So how do you receive it? And I close with this. Well, everybody doesn't have it. That's an obvious thing. Why? Because it's a gift. It's a gift that you have to receive, or it's a gift that you choose to walk away from. 
I can put it a better way. I can say you either choose to receive the gift of Jesus in your life or you walk away from him. When you receive him as the gift for your life, you receive the fullness of the peace that he has for you. If you walk away from Jesus, you walk away from that peace that he wants to give you. And so if you have Jesus living in you as your Savior, your Lord, your friend, your treasure, you have that peace. What is this? John 1, 7, uh, 12 says, To all who receive him, who believe in him, he give, gives the right to be called children of God. And so Romans 5, since we have been justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus offers that to you this morning. I am offering that to you this morning on his behalf. It's a free gift. I hope you receive it. I hope you open your heart and receive it. And I'll spend most of the time this morning speaking about peace because it is foundational. But there are two, two other things that the, these verses do point to, and I'm going to close with this um, now. There's, it points to our purpose. Jesus says, just as the Father sent me, even, though, even so I am sending you. There's the purpose for your life. I am sending you. And then he carries on and he says, and he breathes on them and says, Re receive the Holy Spirit. There's the power for you. We have peace, we have purpose, and we have power. And Jesus was going to pour out his Holy Spirit when he ascended to heaven. We know that, Acts 1.8. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the Holy Spirit gives us the ability and, and, and the, enables us to do what we simply cannot do in our own strength. He gives us power. What are some of the things that I find difficult to do in my own strength? Maybe you're a bit like me. Uh, I hope so, <laughs> that I'm not just the only one. But um, I find it difficult to uh, not be selfish. I find it difficult to be thinking about other people because I largely like to think about myself. You see, the power of the Holy Spirit helps you to live unselfishly. The power of the Spirit, I find it hard to forgive. Especially when I've seen my family damaged or something that has damaged the church, I find it very hard to forgive in myself. But Jesus, His promise to me is, I will give you the Holy Spirit so you can do what you can't do in your own strength and I will enable you to forgive so that you can live free and others can be forgiven. Amen? That's the power of the Holy Spirit, enabling us to do what we cannot do in our own strength. And that's the great promise that Jesus gives us. And so, this peace and this power, and he gives us a central purpose for our lives as the Father sends me, even so I'm sending you. And so, that's the great task that we have as Christians, is to take this peace that we've been given, this light that we walk in, and we go and extend it to the world, that wherever we go, people see something of Christ. That's our great purpose that we walk out in the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to do His will for the good of other people. And lastly, you might be puzzled here by verse 23. I've thought often what that means. If you'll give the sins of any, they will be forgiven them. And if you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. What, is, what does that mean? Well, I think it means this. When you tell people about what Jesus has done, when you speak the words of Jesus to others about His work, about the power of the Holy Spirit, He speaks through you so that if anyone believes what you are saying, your sins are forgiven. Their sins are forgiven. And if ever anyone does not believe what you're saying, their sins are not forgiven. 
In other words, it simply means that we are the ambassadors of Christ. We are the ones that are witnesses for Him. And what people do with the message of what we preach, what we say, even though we are fragile and fallible and sinful human messengers, that will decide whether they experience God's forgiveness or not. That's what, what those verses mean. So as you faithfully live your life under the power of the Spirit, walking and going and doing what God has called you to do, speaking the life of Christ to others, sowing the seeds, what they do with the message determines whether they will know the forgiveness of God or not. So my urging to you this morning, my appeal to you this morning, is that you would be those that receive this free gift of peace, the free gift of His power, the free gift of His purpose for your lives, that you would be an ambassador for Him. I urge you to receive it. I urge you not to walk away from that peace this morning, that you would know that peace in your own life in a radical way.